received this uh, adaptation that were taken from the May table talk. And uh, it's about hope, disappointment, expectations. And on your, uh, of course, on your outline there, you have a, a lot of stuff where that point one has a lot of uh, little little words in nine point type. That's less than large print. <laughs> and I uh, don't expect you to have to really read that. But that's where we were at. That's what we dealt with last week. We covered all of that. And I said, we, you know, on that outline, we just had one point. And usually, if you have one point, you don't even put one. I mean, that's just what you have. Uh, you know, an outline. Uh, but it, it goes right in with part two. And, uh, of course, the second point will uh, be hitting on there today. But uh, when we turn to the, uh, the scriptures, we get a deep, deep dose of real truth. And, and it's reality, a dose of reality. And, of course, when you talk about failure and disappointment, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I don't think people would pack it in at a Bible conference. Then again, you may you may be able to see something like that, especially if people know where it's at. But we found out that it is very common to all of us, and uh, it's more than just common, isn't it? It's, it's part of our lives in many ways down through the years and, and on through the future. If you look at it in Scripture, you find it really about every page. And, uh, of course, you need your Bibles tonight because we're going to be looking at a lot of pages that deal with this subject. And when you have failure, disappointment, and you have high expectations and such, uh, really we should aim high at, at things we do, you know, and, and set some realistic goals, not, not goals that are not realistic, but that uh, something that, you know, we, we shoot for. And I'm not a real goal pusher in the sense of set these high goals as uh, some of your business conferences would talk about and positive thinking, but it is good to have something in mind, what you're shooting for, and you want to reach that. So however you may do it, some people like to put it down on paper and, and uh, have it all just, you know, specific order. And others know what they want to reach, and whenever they get there, they know that that's where they were, were heading for may not always get there, we know that, and no one ever escapes failure and disappointment, we talked about that last week, uh, but as negative as it really sounds, it's not really negative, because God's using all this, and we can, we can certainly profit, we can profit from it definitely, and believe it or not, when you have seasons where it, there's either deadness, or it just seems like there's nothing, or it seems like everything is, is failure, Sometimes that particular season can be one of the most spiritual, productive times of our lives. We may not feel it at the time, but after you're through a particular time in your life that you thought was really low, you find out that God takes that and uses it in a way. You look back, and it might be years later, and you go, huh, so that's what God was doing. You don't always know it at the time, do we? Usually, you don't even know what all He's doing. <laughs> you don't know much of anything what He's doing sometimes. Yep, kind of that could be a part of this, this story here too. So if we were to find uh, failure, we'd say it's a lack of success. It's not getting the success in doing something. It's coming short of a performance that we expected or something that we set for ourselves. Of course, that's where that word expectations comes in. Um, or maybe somebody has 
maybe somebody else who set something else for us. They've set that standard and, and we don't meet it, you know, and so they define that as failure in that sense. Uh, disappointment, it's, it's the sense of uh, sadness, it's the sense of frustration that results from failure when things haven't reached the goal that we wanted. And so then we get disappointed. Uh, our expectations were higher, right? Uh, either from our own failure or failure of others or both. So this is reality. This is practical, uh, I guess you could say. This is what, um, is what we deal with in everyday life, constantly, wherever we're at, at home, on the job. Why don't we uh, take a moment and uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And as we uh, delve with this, uh, into this different kind of topic, we know that's really not different because it is very part of our lives and it's part of everyone's lives. And we know that You use it. Use it for our good so that we can learn better how to live the kind of life that you want us to, and then ultimately we will, it points to the ultimate answer in Christ and in the future kingdom with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we get into the, uh, of course, what we had last week, the reality of disappointment. If you kind of want to look through there, you know, the experience of disappointment, expectations, disappointment, we kind of covered that in a moment, uh, theology, uh, there's a theology of disappointment, and uh, reality is the world that surrounds us. Reality is the world in which God placed us on and on. And the whole idea is, okay, if we have these disappointments, then how do we process it? What do we do with it, right? How do we react to that? So we kind of looked at those things. And uh, so tonight, we're going to see what the Bible teaches about failure and disappointment. So we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, like we did last week. You know what? If our schools... Our schools really wanted to prepare our children. You know where I'm going with this, right? If they want to prepare them for life, and that's really what school is about, right? It's to prepare you for life. There's a lot of things that you learn in school that you don't really use in life, but it's good to learn how to reason through, like mathematics. But, you know, seriously, how many of you use algebra today? Maybe a little bit, possibly. I mean, if you had to, you get in a pinch where you really need it, you could. But, you know, I mean, it's good to, to learn those particular subjects. I mean, you, you definitely use math. I pick on algebra because I didn't like it. Algebra. I hated it. And I had to take it a few times. I think one time I almost had to take it over. But anyway, I, uh, that's the reason I pick on that. It's a, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But in the schools, if they were also able to tell kids that there is such a thing as failure and disappointment, at least it might help them be able to reason some things because they're told, a lot of times people are told, you can do anything you want in life. Now, I wish that were true. And it's good to have a thought, hey, I can do a lot of things. But there are going to be different things that people are not ever going to be able to do. I mean, there would be some people that like to be president. But if they don't get to be president, then are they going to get disappointed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's that? I can think of someone who was. What's her name? It's still Bella. Oh, yeah. 
it's, it's real life, and it occurs, and it's part of our lives. Of course, the ultimate answer, and of course the ultimate answer to everything is found in here, right? So how do we respond to failure? And so the A there, under two, is failure is inevitable. That means it's going to be. It's, it's, you can't avoid it. It's there. So it's everywhere in the Bible, and of course, um, about Genesis 3. What pops up in Genesis 3? we have there? Sin. Adam and Eve. Disobedience. And out of that comes disappointment. They were immediately disappointed when they were cast out of the garden. All of a sudden, life changed in every avenue. Just clothes, first of all. The kind of clothes they had to wear. You know, bodily things, you know. Everything just changes. And then the work that they have to do. And it's, it's not like it was before. And so that's one. How about Cain and Abel? Genesis 4. All sorts of jealousy happening, yeah. Um, you, you have disobedience. Um, of course, you think of the sacrifice that uh, Abel made. And Cain had a different kind of sacrifice. And, uh, of course, as a result of this uh, comes death, right? You see uh, the death of his brother as he kills him. And, uh, of course, he, he had failed. Cain failed in bringing the kind of sacrifice that he was supposed to bring. And uh, it brought disappointment because it didn't, uh, it didn't meet with what he thought he should have gotten. He was expecting to get a pat on the back from God. And yet he didn't because of his disobedience. How about Noah and his sons after the after the flood? Think about that. In Genesis nine, you got Abraham and Sarah. Um, Genesis sixteen, and then you got how about Lot and his daughters? Genesis nineteen, Jacob and Esau. Of course, uh, Jacob uh, hated Esau. Esau really hated him, I guess, as brothers. Uh, but they, didn't, they had a little bit of uh, problems in that family kind of life there. Uh, Nadab and Abihu and Leviticus 10. How about Aaron and Mimi, uh, Miriam? Remember they uh, go to there. Numbers 12. Have to be uh, brother and sister of Moses, right? Verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. How would you like to have that? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> so there they are. They came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. 
not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we acted foolishly, and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away, when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O God, heal her, I pray. The Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days. The people didn't move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth, camped in the wilderness of Paran. Probably been a while since we've been through that story, but you had Miriam and Aaron they're murmuring, and there it is. God has appointed Moses to be the prophet, the one who would be the spokesman for the Lord. It wasn't them, and there was like they were putting them. You know, it's like well, why why can't we do the same thing? And they weren't appointed to do that, even though they had a high position in, in what they did and serving God. But they wanted more. You know, they were bringing out more expectations here and. Of course, God took care of that really quick and it shows His holiness. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah, they, they both were. Um, why not Him, right? But um, Moses, whenever he's at the rock, the time whenever he was supposed to to speak to the rock, what did he do? He hit it. And he didn't get to go into the promised land. He did get to see it from afar, but he didn't get to go in. You know, 
That had to be a major disappointment. He waited all the time after 40 years of being in the wilderness, all the things that he did, and yet God says, that's it. You're not going any further. And it's like you look out across there and you'd like to at least go into that land. Well, I mean, I would have... Um, Samson and Delilah, of course, with their son, uh, are uh, actually the parents of Samson. Can you, uh, you know, can you imagine, you know, the the high hopes they had for him, and yet they see some of the things that he did that was definitely ungodly. Of course, he was he was among you know those judges, and he did some great, amazing things, and all the miracles that he did with with his strength and of course his um, his life with Delilah that shouldn't have come about uh, how about um, Samuel and his sons Samuel wasn't uh, the greatest of fathers in the way that uh, they turn out or um, how about when you think of Solomon Solomon uh, kept looking for more things right more Things he has a harem, a harem can't satisfy him. He has more and more, and we're talking over 700 wives, and the harem. You know, we're speaking just literally a thousand. So it goes on and on and on and on and on through Scripture, and you think of some of some of these guys that we're mentioning are what? They're believers. Um, to matter of fact, so if children could be taught from the very beginning that they're not always going to get their way. What we hear today is that, you know, like even in baseball, Little League, it got to where you can't have a winner and a loser. They all win. And so it, we don't keep score. What's the idea of a baseball game? You want to win the game, right? I mean, it's nice to go out and get a hit and such, but you want to score a run. Well, the reason you want to score a run is that you outscore the others. And, of course, everybody wins today, and we don't want to have anybody have failure. But the thing is, that's what life is. If we're prepared for that, then we know how to manage it. And uh, so I think in, in the time that we've seen what's happening in the public schools, is uh, that's one of the things. Um, failure is, is varied. It, it's multifaceted in, in how it uh, works. It's diverse heard of diversity today so much? The diversity of failures. If you go down the Ten Commandments, let's trace the Ten Commandments and use some examples here of uh, failures that are in the Bible. Um, what's the first commandment? To worship God alone, right? Um Go to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8. Isaiah is speaking of Israel here. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made man-made idols. That is a failure. That's a major failure, isn't it? 
I mean, that's the failure of failures to not worship God. So you see that? that that's, a, that's an easy one, right? That's a gimme. They failed to worship God alone. They would, they would say that they had the true God, but yet they had to put God in some kind of a human form. And right from the very outset. Yeah, and, and you're talking about um, um, Moses' brother there who uh, eventually leads the people into that idolatry as they make a calf, right? Um, what's the second commandment? And you kind of see it right here with idols, right? Don't make any idols. In Exodus 32.4, and that's just what I was talking about there. Um, Exodus 32.4, we see here the second commandment being broken by one of God's people. He took this from their hand, this is Aaron, fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The golden calf. And, of course, the Ten Commandments says that you shall not have any carved images to worship. So we see a first commandment broken. We see a, that's a That's a major failure, isn't it? How about... Uh, let's see... Actually, you find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, right? And of course, we've seen the first two commandments in there, in the starting verse 4. Uh, when you get into verse 7, you come up to the third one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain, or uh, I guess you could be talking about failing to reverence God, to revere Him. Um, taking the name of the Lord in vain is more than just you know saying cuss words, but you know of course the name of the Lord is everything that He is. Uh, not using His name though in vain. It's it's reverencing Him, and uh, of course you when when you. And you're speaking of holiness there, right? God is a holy God uh, to revere Him. I, I often think of the story of Uzzah. You guys remember the story of Uzzah? Do you remember how they were supposed to move the the ark? And um, they were supposed to have it on, you know, the, the rods there. Uh, and they weren't supposed to touch that. And this is how holy God is. He doesn't want human hands to touch it as they are to carry that in a specific way. And of course, he, you know, it shouldn't have been on what David was doing, the wagon, and then it started to fall off. And then Uzzah seems like the right thing to do. What's he going to do? He's going to try to catch it to keep it from falling on the ground. That wasn't the right thing to do. You would think it would be, but it wasn't because God said you're still not to touch it. It shouldn't have been there in the first place. And, uh, of course, we know what is the outcome of Uzzah. Um, so that's you know keeping him holy and everything about his, his name or who he is. There's a... What's the fourth commandment? Keep it. Keep the Sabbath holy. 
Um, Exodus 16.27 Major failures here by God's people. about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore He gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Well, there they were. They... uh, you know, the laws put forth that they're not to go out and gather on the seventh day. And say, so what are they supposed to do? Not eat? No. Sixth day, there would be enough there that they can get that would last them two days. They don't have to go out and work on that particular day. So it was a, the day of rest. It's kind of interesting, you know, that this is how he, how he puts it forth. It, but if you would, but they were to go out and work every day, but just get enough for that day, right? And if you save some back for the next day, on the other days, what would happen to it? Turn to worms. It would walk away. Right. So, you know, but there on that particular day, that's how good God is that He set it forth. You can get enough for two days, and then you don't have to work on Sabbath. And of course, we know that they, they that's one of the their problems of uh, nation of Israel, what they did with the Sabbath, and of course they did not uh, keep it holy. Uh, let's see, what's the fifth commandment? Yeah, do you remember? Um, let's go to First Samuel two. You have Eli here. Eli is who? What does he do? Eli is a priest. First Samuel two twenty-two. Now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate it for uh, for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. So there are the sons of the priest and in the actions they do right outside the tent of meeting. Right outside the tent of meeting. So he rebukes his sons. Did they honor their father? No, they didn't. And of course we see the results of that. There's another major failure. And of course, uh, I think probably he had failed to really discipline his sons. And so, he goes on and on. How about David? The man who pursued after God's own heart. And 2 Samuel 11. 
course, well, I guess you could take the whole chapter, but we're familiar with it. That's uh, dealing with David's great sin with Bathsheba. And what you get there is that we know what's what's a commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And because of that, and his hiding of that, because she was married, uh, he had to murder her husband who had been faithfully serving David and the kingdom of Israel in fighting in the wars that spring. David didn't go out there at that time. And so he failed huge breaking all sorts of commandments here, really, didn't he? Of course, you break one, you break them all, but you can see a lot of breaking here in this sense. So he, he failed to respect the sanctity of marriage and a life itself. Um, I'll go to... Uh, how, about, how about stealing? Is that one of the commandments? Go to Joshua 7.1. Israel has just had their victory over Jericho. Then comes AI. Should be really simple to take. Uh, but anyway, in uh, Joshua 7, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. The ban is, is that they're not to take anything. He took gold. And we know the outcome of that. He lost his life, but he stole gold. God told them him not to do that over them. Um, over in the New Testament. How about lying? Does is there a commandment against lying? Do not bear false witness. In Acts five three, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, it says, verse 1, a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? No problem with you know, the idea, okay, you can sell some of it and give some of it to to God. They could have done that, but they made people think that everything that they sold, they the money they got out of it, they were giving to them. And of course, really, they're lying not only to people, but they're really lying to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And um, so that was a big major lie, a big major failure, and again, uh, we know the result of what happened to them. Uh, what's the last commandment? Coveting. Coveting. We know that that's where Paul 
said the law killed him. It was coveting. Also think of a guy by the name of Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Galatia. There was Demas. What did he do? He loved this present world. Or he coveted the things of the world. He had everything that he needed. To covet is wanting something that somebody else has. Or something that's really not yours. Things that you don't really need. Things that God hasn't seen fit to give you. And so he chose the world really than rather than keeping his ministry that he had uh, and working with Paul in, in ministry. He, he left Paul. He abandoned the apostle. It's like he um, I think that's about it that, that we know of. He loved this, and that's kind of sad because you go, where was he at spiritually? I don't know. I guess that's what gets me about all this, but I know you're not finished going through the commandments. What is it? Drawing your way through the commandments, so I should let you finish that, but what's, what is getting me about all of these examples is that some of them you know are God's people. There's David. There's even Samson who messed up. I mean, he should be my hero because he messed up so badly so much and yet you know the Lord loved him and, and kept him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's um, the that held back part of their oh, problems. And they were gone. They were gone. And to me, it looks like they were really never believers to begin with. But I don't know. I'm, I don't know. It ruins a testimony, doesn't it? And they did it. And they did it in front of God's people as deception. On top of it all, right. some of these guys were just doing stupid stuff. But and then Achan, his mess with Steve. Was he actually one of God's own? Was he to be with God? Was he an elect? Doesn't say, I does it? No. But there's got to be some kind of. They're among they're among God's people, and then you start. What, what I think what is what, and what you were saying there kind of remind me as we look at this. Every one of us have broken the Ten Commandments. Every, we know that, and we've done some of the same things in some manner or form, and yet God, by His mercy and grace, has saw fit to keep us alive and growing in Him. And if, if these people are believers, and I believe many of them are, we, we definitely know David was. Um,
Somebody's widow. His son's widow. And then he's supposed to marry off to the younger son of the So she dressed up like a prostitute and slept with him. Huge failure there, isn't it? Huge failure, and yet... Is he a believer? Has to be. And if you're talking Moses, you're talking David, we're talking murderers, uh, adultery. I mean, and you look at this, I mean, and it goes, wow, we, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. And, and actually, people tend to kind of look at one instance of lying, which is promising as we look at this though is and God used those as examples does he kill everybody because they've done one sin but he's showing how holy that he is and he, I'll guarantee you whenever he did that with Ananias and Sapphira or he did it with the man who's trying to catch you know the the, the ark at the same time it gets people's attention and I can I can guarantee you there were people probably unbelievers saying, Hey I don't want to start this kind of guy. You know, they they counted the cost. Or people who were in the church, Well, I'm not doing that. You know, I had to get the attention. And of course, you know, you can see that some were taking up the Lord's Supper in, in a wrong way. And um, of course some were sick and some died, right? So yeah, God even will take people out of life and do that but yet at the same time he doesn't do that with everybody it's amazing isn't it amazing that we still we, we even live and 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 prosper god is really really but good but he also tells us those he loves he chase you so so you don't ever think because you're not so bad sure. that you don't deserve the chastening from him because he does chase you right. so i'm guessing that the reason for that chasing I was just thinking of when David asks, asked for the census. He has a census taken. Boy, did he get repercussions for that. But it was kind of addressed what he was. He was part of the look at all these people. And then wasn't his punishment that a lot of those people died? Because of his sin, but other mm-hmm. people died. Numbering the people. They didn't ask for the census. They probably preferred not to have it. It was for David's. God's discipline at the same time God's mercy on, on that he that he had on David but David still had to pay consequences the rest of his life because of it yeah Debbie okay I can't find it but there's a verse somewhere that talks about the fact that Sometimes believers are such a bad witness that the Lord takes them out. Where's that verse at? That, in other words, they're still a believer, but their witness is so bad at that point that they die. Well, in First John, uh, you have that. Um, 
the the one that we were just um, uh, the for, uh, Corinthians chapter uh, eleven, the dealing with the Lord's, Lord's Supper. Supper. Okay, we were talking about Ananias and Well, if they were true believers, they're in heaven. You know. And I tend to think they, they were part of the church. So, uh, let's take it. If, if they're believers, can God take... Well, He takes everybody out eventually. Maybe in a disgrace. But yeah, that, that leaves a kind of a bad taste. And, and of course, then, then it leaves us wondering, wonder if they really were believers. You know, God knows. Of course, they, if they are His, and, and many are. Yeah, that's what's sad about that. But He definitely took that. And it comes back to God's grace. Oh, you know, it's only by God's grace that anybody can be saved anyway. So, yeah, I'm glad it's all in His hands <laughs> that He's the one that knows. Because we don't do anything for that election to happen anyway. It's still, you know, yeah. So even to a child, yeah. So there's still, like I said, we said that child. We did. We don't earn it. We don't do anything. Same as an infant. They don't earn it. Anything either is by God's grace, and He grants that. You know that we. Here's a question for you: If one has great set a success. Can it bring failure? Yeah. Doesn't that sound odd? It We're probably the most vulnerable when we've had success. Because what happens? We can get overconfident. Uh, Samson is probably one of them. David. Solomon. How about Peter? Look to the flip side. Unsuccess can be the same thing. Make you bitter. Sure, it can make it. Yeah, and you can turn and run further either way. Uh, can failure be repeated? You think, okay, we'll learn from a failure. We should be able to learn from failures, but can we repeat it? No, I don't think we learned it too fast. Hey, listen, when you're stuck in school and the kids don't remember any of the previous wars, Over and over and over. Abraham failed to trust God whenever he was looking after should have been looking after Sarah when he went down to Egypt. And of course, he kind of, you know, makes a little lie there uh, about his relationship with her to a heathen king. And of course, he found out, and Abraham got rebuked by it. Uh, but he did exactly the same thing later. <laughs> did it again. He failed. That was a big failure, and he did it again. And the disciples, over and over and over and over, they failed to grasp who Jesus was. And he kept telling them, you know, that that he is going to have to die, that he'd be resurrected. They just didn't get it. And even after when when crucifixion happened, you know, they ran. I mean, <laughs> kept doing that over and over. Um, and then you think of failure is painful. Moses not getting to go to the promised land. That would be pretty uh, much failure to him. How about David's failure with uh, Bathsheba? Pain. What kind of pain? Well, he had physical pain for one thing, didn't he? 
And we see that as he confessed it in Psalm 51. It affected him morally. It affected him spiritually, physically, you know, in, in every realm, uh, emotionally. And the consequences followed him the rest of his life. And, of course, you, you know, you look in the, the Psalm 51, this confession there, but when he did that, things started healing then after a year. Peter's three denials, right? Failure was very painful to him. And uh, he did mourn and weep over that. Um, failure is a thing that can actually be shared and it kind of gives people actually encouragement sometimes whenever we... we it's human, human to fail. Um, the psalmist, how many times do you see the psalmist confess their failures? They don't only confess it, but what do they do? They sing about it. Because <laughs> that's what the psalms are. They sing about their failures. What is this? This is about humanness. This is about who we are. Job, a spiritual giant, the most righteous man on earth at that time. And we see him standing up so long and then it finally gets to him. And uh, he even starts saying things against God. He was disappointed with God. But you see honesty. At least it's honesty that that is coming there. That should encourage us. Um, Here's a good thing about failure. It prevents worse failure. When we failed... um, Think about the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. Pretty well failure there for most of the churches except a couple there, right? They, but the Corinthian church, it failed so badly that it, it, you know, you want to keep from doing what they did. Or the Thessalonians, which is a really good church, but they got it all messed up in what was happening in the teaching of the second coming of Christ. You remember that? And so there was, even though Paul had taught them well, um, those failures of the churches or things in the past with things that have happened are kind of like warning beacons to us. Say, I don't want to do what happened there. And they can be a gift to us. For all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Because it's going to work for good. The Ephesians left their first love. Ephesians, the Ephesus church had giants as as preachers there. Of course, Paul knew them, and he had uh, preached there. And think of um, uh, who else? So actually, um, John had been there. Polycarp, I think, had uh, preached there. They left their first love. Failure can be forgiven. It is forgiven. And it's not only a lesson to learn, but when we confess our sins, what do we do? We bring our failures before God. And that's really what He wants us to do. Because we fail. Every time we've sinned, we really have failed. And that's what we were really looking at sins. You say, just those little sins? Yeah, look at those little sins that just seem so little. It doesn't even seem like sins. Respectable sins. Respectable sins. You know what confession does? It frees us from our guilt. Because we know that when we fail God, we have Christ's righteousness. We have His. We find our perfection in Him. There's the positive aspect. By the way, does failure define us? No. It does not define us at all. Yeah, we hate it. We carry it on. The thing is, what are we supposed to do with it? 
don't keep carrying it with you, what do you do? If, Take it right to the if Lord. If you do keep carrying it, then the enemy is using that on you. Right. You can make you make it worse, right? But, but you do learn from it, though, too. Yeah, and that's I think that is definitely designed to, to, to do that. It's what God but don't uh, let it has go planned. Too far in your mind, though, so you're going to stop doing everything because you failed. Well, what's an opposite of failure? It would be faith, wouldn't it? God doesn't define His people by failure, but He defines His people by faith. Look at the book of Hebrews 11. Some of the very same people that we talked about, the very ones that failed. You know, of course, it's easy to. But did you know Samson was a believer? After all, he did. Yeah, he's in the hall of faith. He's a believer. And Abraham and Lot. Lot was a believer. Did he fail? Boy, did he ever. God defines His people by faith. We all see the failure of the saints. All the saints fail. But God doesn't define them as failures. He defines them as people of faith in the hall of faith that, that Hebrews left. God sees us as righteous in Christ. He doesn't see us as failures. He sees us as righteous. So there is the flip side of what we all started with. And by the way, this brings us to what I think is the best thing. Failure brings us closer to heaven. Because when we see we fail, we hate to fail. We don't like it. We shouldn't like it. No matter how much we might confess our failures, we're still going to fail. We know that because we, we still sin. By the way, you can fail sometimes and not even sin. I mean, you could fail doing whatever, you know, doing a project. Does that mean you've sinned in it? No. You can you can fail in a in your own ventures, business adventures, whatever you do, um, those things happen. But one thing they do is they keep us humble. They keep us looking to Christ. keeps us looking to heaven. And that's where failures will never, ever be again. We'll never know failure ever again once we're in heaven. We're going to close with this. Ready for this? Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. And He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at that. He loves us. He released us from our sins. We're not held captive by guilt anymore. And we're a kingdom priest to God and Father. We represent uh, God here on earth. And, and of course, uh, you know what He's made kings and priests. And then you go to Revelation 21, verse 4. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will be no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All the disappointments, the failures, those expectations that didn't make it, and we'll never know anything but success there. And that's morally, spiritually, intellectually, physically, relationally, everything you can think of. And that finally would be all perfect and 
That's why we still have these aspirations. And I'm glad we do because that's part of life. We should have desires. They should be desires of the Lord. But those expectations can be good, can't they? And when we have disappointment on it, it's natural. Because that's what's happening in a natural world. But there will be a time that we'll have success always. Every time, every day, just constantly having success. What happens here is our failures make us long for heaven. And that's a good thing. He's no earthly good because he's too heavenly minded. Actually, I don't think that that's really a good statement. I don't think anybody's really heavenly minded enough because when you're really heavenly minded, you're putting it on the things of Christ. And of course, that also means, but while I'm here, and I still want to serve the Lord, but uh, torture of disappointment, the pain of failure, gone forever. And what we have here, it's for our good. So we have the remedy to it. So that's our two-part story on uh, failure and disappointment with those expectations. Is it helpful? We have a lot of hope. And then we look at all the biblical figures, the ones that are in the Hall of Faith, they all stumble. They all fail. And yet, there they are. God sees them because of their faith. Incredible. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your truth. And thank You for defining us as people of faith. We stumble. We fall. We are not sometimes seeing the light. And, and of course, in the, in the dark realm, we, we trip. But Lord, thank You. Thank You for forgiveness of sins. It's all because of the cross. That's where You want us to bring our failures. Just bring them to You. And You take them. And then You make us see ourselves as righteous in Christ. And our success is always found in Christ. Thank You for the endeavors that You give us and the desires that we do have along with the gifts and uh, everything that goes with being a Christian. Those things that You've given us, Lord, the desires, may we follow those. And even if it doesn't come out the way that we want it, we know it's always going to be for Your good. Help us in our daily walks and so that we can please You more and more. And even when it doesn't seem like uh, maybe blessings are happening, they always are when we see it from your angle. And we point to the ultimate. We point to heaven where there be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Everything is absolutely perfect. Always a success. In Jesus' name, amen.